This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. I'm Alex, and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get started, I just want to take you on a little journey of what sometimes happens when I am not super prepared for what's about to happen on the podcast because I've tried to use like scheduling tools and all that stuff and you know of course I make allowances for like big things that drop on Netflix out of nowhere I'm like this should be talked about but oftentimes I like to schedule the podcast um for example Tokyo when I started watching Tokyo Revengers which was the last um, show for the last Thursday episode I did, um, I, after the first episode, I was like, I should talk about this show. This, this show is going to be a big deal. Um, no one kind of can, lots of people probably can't see it now, but it will be, it will be like number two or number one on Crunchyroll by the end of its 24 episode run. And that ended up happening pretty Pretty much as I was just like, oh, yeah, this is the kind of show that, like, by the last episode, everybody's going to be watching it. It's going to be the big deal show of this season. Of this, of this season. And kind of whatever seasons it's playing in. Just because it, it has that air of a show. So, like, I plan on talking about those shows, and I map them out so like okay in 24 weeks i will end up talking about this show but oftentimes i don't plan that far ahead and part of the reason why i do this podcast the way i do it with so little editing if you want me in a more edited mode slightly more edited mode at this point um you can go listen to the uncanny curve podcast especially the early episodes i really edit all of the participants me, Lauren, and Larry in the early in the earlier episodes of that are like I do heavy audio editing in that show. But reason why I've always had this show as a kind of unedited, more freeform, more raw feed is not because I love you hearing me be like um ah uh, blah 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 and massive pauses. It's because I like the raw unfiltered nature of you hearing what I think without me tailor without it being tailored or me tailoring it to what the best to what I think the best or I know the best like my best version of whatever thought is because uh, and I talked about this in my Sunday edition a little bit there's a lot of like in an attempt to be to be professional in like a review setting or a conversation about a thing or property setting, there can be a lot of like sanding down of the edges and sometimes seeing those raw edges in a review or a podcast can be valuable. I mean, I've already, if I ever start releasing the video versions of these again, 
I like I have a I have a ring light and the whole setup, um, including a fancy studio mic that I'm putting my hand around right now, but I'm not touching because that would make terrible noises for um, everybody involved. But so I don't always plan these things. And usually when I don't plan these things, I'll be honest, you can tell. That's why I do like an old anime movie or an old anime set of OVAs because I, like, believe it or not, I do this week to week. I still forget, like, oh, I have a podcast I need to put out every, I have two podcasts I need to put out every third day. Um, and a podcast I need to put out on Sundays. Usually I'm a little bit more prepared for the Sunday one, but I, because this is my side hustle, so to speak, I don't always, I just don't always remember, if I'm honest, because it gets in the habit, and then, like, you remember every single time you brushed your teeth, kind of thing. But what usually doesn't happen is, what usually doesn't happen is I don't really have anything to do for a podcast. And then I stumble onto something incredible, like incredible, incredible. And that's the reality of what happened to me this time. Because this time, we're talking about Star Wars Vision. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Star Wars, it takes place in a galaxy far, far away. And that should tell you exactly how familiar everybody is with Star Wars. You know, I'm not, I am not a huge fan of Star Wars. My friend Lauren, who I run the Uncanny Curd podcast with, is actually a huge fan of Star Wars, and she really, she really likes Star Wars a lot, but um, I'm not a big Star Wars person. I've, I've seen the movies, I think I've seen all the movies, actually. Um, but I'm like, I haven't read the novels, I haven't done like, all these different things with Star Wars. But one of the things that you kind of always sense with Star Wars is Star Wars has a lot of Kurosawa, Japanese, old school Japanese film um, lineage in it, in the styling and treatment of the Jedi as, you know, laser katana-wielding space samurai um, from, like, a samurai western version of space. And even the way that they regard each other and they, like, you either, like, a Sith with the Empire or a, um, or a Jedi or a proper Jedi with the, um, with the Republic it all feels almost um, shogunistic is a word I'm going to make up now. And so there's always been all of this stuff in the... It's always been all of this Jap clear Japanese inspiration in the world of Star Wars. You don't, and you really don't have to look far to find it. Um, but... Because of the way Lucasfilms was, you know, occupied, was um, run, and because of the kind of cachet that anime 
had with brought with it up until recently. A Star Wars anime was never really a thing. Like, and also for for the longest time until very recently, Star Wars was concerned with like one core set of characters. It expanded out somewhat for a certain for certain opportunities, but there was like a core set of characters that everybody knew. You know, Han Solo, um, Darth Vader that kind of thing. But with the last, with the more recent Star Wars movies, they started attempting to expand out from that core set of characters. They started introducing, like, the new generation of, you know, Sith Lords and of Jedi and of everything in between with, like, characters like Rey, characters like, um... Adam Driver's character in the in the Star Wars universe, who I think is dead now, but that can, that can be reversed. That's how that goes. At, or like Grogu, who is the same species as Yoda, but not Yoda. And with that, what they've allowed themselves to do is they've allowed the Star Wars universe to realistically to other people, or even um, what's the What's the um the thing that Grogu's from that Baby Yoda's from um the the Boba Fett thing um but w anyway with that expanding of the character base they've allowed in a very real way the possibility of other stories and of other Jedi and of other you know um versions of the Empire to enter into being in a real way. And also, Star Wars is kind of like, Star Wars is kind of like Ghost in the Shell on Roids. <laughs> the sentence I just said into the internet. But what I mean there is really true. Star Wars is a is a cultural product at this point. It is a, it is a cultural product that is the sum of parts from a lot of different places recontextualized to be its own unique thing. And I'm going to demonstrate that to you now. When I, when I tell you that there are shots that identify as Star Wars, you're probably like, you are probably either one of two ways. You're probably like, no, there's not what are you talking about, shots that identify Star Wars. Or, yeah, there's totally shots that identify Star Wars. So let me tell you, let me describe a shot. It's a wide shot. It's on a, a barren plane of a random planet and the sun setting in the background. And across and across the field of view, like all the way across this landscape, this this wide landscape of a of a shot, that otherwise is pretty is pretty still. You see a single little you see a single little hover bike carrying a person go from right to left, 
and they pass through the center of the setting sun and then they move on and then it it cuts the shot and the next shot is of them riding that bike and you're in a more traditional close-up shot that's a very specific Star Wars shot that's in a lot of Star Wars things. And that kind of formula for a traditional Star Wars shot is what makes something like Star Wars Visions possible. Because whether anybody believes it or not, everybody's favorite things, like anything from something like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel to the West Wing to Star Wars has to be reproducible. I've talked about this in my thing about reviews, but one of the things that everybody tends to forget when they focus on like animation ticks, jank, stuff like all that, it's like, it's such an achievement that whatever you're watching got on your screen in the first place that a degree of deference deserves to be paid. But in that same vein, the all this stuff has to be repeatable. I um I mentioned uh Miss Cope Biasi's Dragon Maid season two recently, because that show is very odd. Because the original director perished in the um in the Kyoani um domestic in the Kyoani domestic terrorism fires and so the original director didn't exist to direct it anymore they got a new so they brought in a new director for that show and some very key but subtle subtle things have changed about that show because of it it used to be that Lukoa was the only was the only really sexualized character, with the only really, like, big-boobed, traditionally sexualized character. They were doing some sexualization things with Kana and um, her classmate, but that was a very, very anime-esque and very odd and had a point that was about that side character. Now, they have a lot more of a almost male gaze to the female cast of that show. And um, with the exception, kind of always, of Miss Kobayashi um, herself, but still, like, there's more jiggle to the, there's more jiggle physics to the show. There's more, like, clothes being ripped off and fights in the first couple episodes of this show. And it, it feels fundamentally different. But the rest of the show is, like, um, just a, they have reproduced the rest of the feeling of Miss Kobayashi. And one of the things that Star Wars Vision demonstrates is that Star Wars is reproducible. It is a, it is a cultural product, but it is such a cultural product, and people have spent so long with Star Wars as part of, like, sci-fi canon that you are you are capable of reproducing Star Wars. And 
what Star Wars Vision also is a demonstration of is Star Wars is finally owned by a company that doesn't get that doesn't give a shit about canon what what canon means and also has an interest in expanding the canon itself because they want to be able to produce more things from Star Wars. They want to mint more money out of the Star Wars bank, so to speak. So what they did was they went to, um, I forget, I think, um, they went to a, a middleman company that specializes in American Japanese co-productions. And they got, and they got, um, seriously big animation studio, Jap anime studios to do work, to, to do shorts, to do nine individual shorts for Star Wars Vision, to make an anthology. And what, and, so, and if you want a great example of an anthology, one of the better examples is an anthology called Memories, and that's a, that's a great one. One of my personal favorites is an anthology called Robot Carnival. It's a fucking weird, over-the-top, the only rule for that anthology is every single short in Robot Carnival involves a robot. I talked about it on this podcast a while ago, so you can probably find it in the feed somewhere um, before this episode. But the St Star Wars is such a big, odd kind of shapeless world of a thing that you can set things any which way you want. You can set them way forward in time, set them way back in time. And the, the other great thing about Star Wars Visions as just a project for someone to work on is they very clearly gave, said like, no whole bar. We don't really, like other than like our normal Disney, like no hardcore nudity effects, Go for it. And honestly, if I'm being completely honest, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have imagined that a studio would have made like a super over sexualized Star Wars short because that's just not how Star Wars functions most times. I mean, the the most like lurid thing you can think of is um Leia in the bikini in um in a Jabba the Hutt's like palace, but the so you have all these studios and all of these creators who've grown up like with Star Wars, and of course because Star Wars is a kind of seminal piece of nerd media they obviously super understand it, especially because it is borrowing so heavily from Akira Kurosawa films, from um, spaghetti westerns, from samurai westerns, and that whole lineage. So you have studios like Studio Trigger, Science Saru, you have um, Kenji Kamiyama directed a, um, a short. You have the people who did... Um, the the uh, penguin movie I forget the penguin movie full name but you have them they did they actually did my favorite short which is um, the village bride and seemingly their only 
their only goal, the only thing they were set that people that they were given was the short has to be Star Wars themed. And the kind of impressive thing is that in every seriously, I can't I can't imagine they said like it has to feature a lightsaber. But in every short there there is a Jedi, there is some kind of lightsaber fight. And it is it it all feels the way Star Wars feels. It feels like puppetry. <laughs> like um and like that it kinda of has that slight nineteen seventies feel to it. And it or it has this like bombastic space operatic feel like the um short that they uh, that Studio Trigger did, the the first short that Studio Trigger does, which is um the one called the Twins. And the Twins is the Twins is um uh I forget his, I forget the um, director's name, but um, the twins is straight up that um, uh, very well, um, let me get to it actually because I've got it right in front of me. Um, the twins is straight up um, Is straight up um, their their thing of like, look, we're only going to get one shot at this. We need to. It's actually the director of um, Promare, but it's that director being like, I I'm pretty sure I only get one shot at this. I better shoot my shot, and he goes, he goes bananas, and it's great. Um, and then later on they do a um, they do a short. That is totally unlike something that you would imagine from Trigger, and it very much feels like a old school, ultra violent OVA from the '80s, from the era when that um, that uh, Star Wars stepped into, and it's called I think it's called The Elder, and it, you basically it's a fight between a young Padawan and a like elder Sith Lord who had just stopped giving a shit about anything except for fighting, except for fighting strong dudes, and it's 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 so unlike Trigger that if you get I didn't really wreck. I'm like, wait, that was no, that makes sense. That makes sense. It makes sense that that was Studio Trigger. I'm just surprised that they put that out. And that's one of the great, greatest things about anthologies in general is because it's only maybe one or two 20-minute 20, 20 max things, little animations. Studios can experiment. They can put people. They can put people in charge of things they've never put people. They've never put in charge before. They can make weird things. They can like run a master class in the kind of thing that they're great at, like um, the Ninth Jedi, the um, episodes from uh, Kenji Kamiyama, which feel like a Kenji Kamiyama joint through and through. Like watching it, 
Like, oh, this is a guy who brought you Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. One million percent. But you, um, even if you don't know that proper name, but it's like, I watched it and I was like, this is, this is just a Kenji Kamiyama episode just as a standalone thing. I want, and actually I watched, um, I watched two reviews of this, um, compilation on, um, on YouTube, um, mostly just to help me form my thoughts and like make some more concrete before I came into this podcast. But the mother basement episode, the mother's basement review, which is great. I watched, um, Scamboli and I watched mother's basement, Jeff Sue. Um, and he said, like, I just want more of this show. And I totally agree. I would watch more of that show. Um, but he was like, buy this, buy this, buy this anime from Kenji Kamiyama and just produce it with him as director and it will be awesome. But the, the advantage of this is that you get all of these studios who are all so good at what they do and you're giving them access to something that you don't normally get access to. This is, um, Kenji Kamiyama actually comes up again because he directed the, uh, Blade Runner, the Blade Runner short, um, Blade Runner Blackout, I think it was called. And he has directed, anim- he has directed animes, um, special episodes, ba- basically for all kinds of different, um, pop culture things like, Blade Runner, like, um, Lord of the Rings, and stuff like that, so he's well-versed in this, and even, even with all that, he still takes, as a director, such an odd, unique lens, like his, The Ninth Jedi, his short, is, has, like, a glorious twist halfway through it, (laughs) and is really a specific look a specific angle of the Jedi and the making of lightsabers and all this other stuff that you don't you don't see that much and that's the real glory of Star Wars Visions is it's such a it gives you such a wide view of the Star Wars universe it takes you in the first short um it takes the the duel it takes you to like an old school and the duel is directed by the um, director for um, by basically the entire team for um, that made uh, Afro Samurai and they make a badass you know lightsaber samurai fight <laughs> samurai duel and it's amazing and then you go to and then two episodes later you're in the village bride, and it's a totally different kind of story. It still culminates in a lightsaber action set piece, but it's different, in it, and it plays differently. Um, I think The Twins is actually episode two. And The Twins is its own unique thing that's almost a, um, that's almost a take on, um, on, um, 
General Grievous. It's like, oh hey, what what if we made um General Grievous a waifu? And then but actually the second episode, um, Tatooine Rhapsody is has very has very little to do with um lightsaber and Jedi and it's just like a power of friendship through rock, rock and roll um storyline that involves Jabba the Hutt weirdly. And granted, Tatooine Rhapsody is probably the weakest of the bunch. But the whole this whole project does something in a really big way that doesn't often get to be done. And that is it, it's really forcing the field of view of a of a massive cultural property like Star Wars, it's forcing that field of view to go way wider. Because now you have like nine individual episodes worth of just characters you can pick from. So let's say you wanted to you wanted to focus on the um on the samurai style Jedi Jedi girl who's fr- who's in the Village Bride, and you wanted to make a whole show about her. You want to make a whole show or a comic book about her. You could totally go do that. The Ninth Jedi is the first episode of a it's a pilot episode of a TV show, and what that does for properties it makes it capable to, in a more natural way, last longer. Because one of the problems with, um, and I don't think you need to be a Star Wars person to watch the new Star Wars movies and see this, one of the problems with the Skywalker saga is it kept getting dragged out. Like, you keep seeing Luke Skywalker, you keep seeing Han Solo and Chewie, and eventually, these characters get tiring. And also, the, keep continuing to use those characters over and over again and giving them the kind of um, gravitas that they would deserve after that, after using, after seeing them over and over again, movie after movie after movie, creates a barrier for new fans. It creates this, like, this point at which the new fans would have to go all the way back, like, 28 movies at some point to to see the original Star Wars thing if they were just getting to Star Wars. That's a lot of work to ask a new fan of anything to do. Where you could also... Offer that fandom a way in through some through a grouping of shorts like Star Wars Visions. You could offer them a way in with something like um like Lop and Ocho or like um or, or like The Elder or like um T Zero B One. Any of these. PDO one is actually an adorable, excellent 
way into a show, uh, into a property. <laughs> but all of these things allow, A, more fans to come on board. They expand the scope of the artistic goal of Star Wars. They also expand the, expand the scope of the field of view of where the viewer's lens is pointed constantly. Because up until now, yes, there have been like novelizations of like Boba Fett and all this other stuff, but it's not. Everybody always wonders why nobody goes to read the manga for stuff often. And the bottom line is that that's a lot of work. That's you have to go searching for that stuff. If I want to go read. If you wanted to go read um, Tokyo Revengers right now, legally, I'm not super sure where I would send you for that. Because you could go to Izuki and read up to Chapter 5. That doesn't do you a whole lot of good. You can already watch past that in the, in the 24 episodes that are out. So what something being on TV, and this is the same with movie adaptations of books, comic books, and video games, what all that stuff does is it makes it a more passive way to experience a property or a world or a universe or a cultural product like Star Wars that is not true of like, okay, what you're going to want to go do is you're going to want to go read the Star Wars novels like 1 to 10, and that'll give you a good idea of the background of the universe. And then you're going to want to go play, um, like, the Dark Jedi video games from 1992, which you're going to have to find an emulator of. No. What you ideally want is something like this. You want something where they have created something that is outside of the existing canon known films that is like, oh, did you know Jedi's did this kind of thing? Did you know that there's this old Sith Lord dude who just stopped giving a shit at some point? And it, it's much more entertaining and it's much it acts much less of the viewer than just like Go pick up this manga about Anakin's mom. And that's really what needs to happen with this kind of stuff. And it, everybody was, and I've um, talked about this when I talked about, um, I think it's like 20 going on 12 or whatever it was called. Um, oh no, 20 something is the name of the animation. The animation, there's a short animated short on Disney on Disney Plus right now called Twenty Something. You can open up Disney Plus right now and go find it. It's this great animated short that was clearly like Disney. Disney has a program where they are just giving money to promising animators to produce shorts and saying, "Make it thing. We don't really care what. Like we 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 can always say no and not put it on the service." Is the bottom line, but the the plus side of that is you get these animators who are doing experimentally odd things, 
who are making beautiful, like make a beautiful end product as a result of working in a less predictable way. And they, now they have, now they're bankrolled slightly to be able to make like a 15 minute thing about like the first time you go drinking in a bar immediately after you turn 21, how fucking weird it feels because you don't know how to function in like, not adult society, like adult society, you've, you've usually got nailed by like, like when you're 19, you're an adult. But, like, an adult society in which you can drink and you are perceived in a certain way. And, like, in the case of this black girl that's the main character in that show, you're perceived in that short, you're perceived as, like, attractive. And you're trying to process all this for the first time, like, as an adult, as an adult woman. And... When you do that, and then you also give someone the rights to something that they wouldn't have access to, otherwise, you're giving them a huge opportunity to play around in a space where they wouldn't normally be able to. So, one of the kind of more infamous for allowing this to happen, people, is... um. Ichiro Oda, the um, the uh, manga and creator of One Piece, just kind of lets people draw the One Piece gang whenever they feel like it. Or like a um, couple, like a month or two ago, um, the author, the team behind Food Wars, the author of Food Wars and the um, illustrator for Food Wars, they're two separate people, did a special one-shot of Sanji as as a Food Wars character. And Ichiro Oda was just like, great, cool, go for it. I don't care. Like, this is cool. And that lets the Food Wars, the two people who make Food Wars, stress their wings and stress their creativity and try something new. It also exposes one piece, Ichiro Oda's work, to people who just got into anime through, and I know this is weird, Food Wars, which has to be a single person on the earth. And that trading back and forth, that admiration and acknowledgement back and forth is also valuable for the creators because it gets Ichiro Oda to look at Food Wars, it gets and Food Wars is already looking at Ichiro Oda, and that back and forth is really valuable because a lot of artists can just not look at what's out there. And if you look at um, Miyamoto's uh, now canceled manga called um, Samurai 8, you had read Samurai 8, it read kind of like it read kind of like an old school shonen uh, in the time of new school shonen, and it just felt odd. It felt slightly lifeless. It felt like it felt like one of a million things already out there. And what 
Star Wars Visions does for Star Wars is it expands on what we've seen of Star Wars and adds into it stuff we've never seen, stuff like ex really experimental things, really fun little like aside like Tatooine Rhapsody is not once again is not the strong the sharpest tool in this shed but it is this great fun little romp for like 20 minutes uh you know the twins is full is full trigger tastic anime goodness in the form of traditional Star Wars, and it's great. Um, Village Bride is all about this, like, the Jedi encountering the, like, tribal, uh, like, a tribal, spiritual, connected to nature planet. Um, Lupin, um, Lop and Ocho is probably my second favorite, and that's purely because of the of the kind of like first off they they um put this in a they put this on a planet that very very carefully like crafted to be Japanese esque. It it's like this. It revolves around this kooky but troubled, almost Yakuza-esque Japanese family who adopts this, like, funny girl. And just the visuals are so much about what if we married traditional samurai visuals completely without, like, without hiding the ball even a little bit but with much more color and playfulness than um, the first short, which is The Duel, with um, Star Wars in a very small-scale family dynamic thing that feels much less like it's a battle for the universe and much more like it's a battle for keeping your family together. Um, best way I can describe it, I think Lucy Liu plays um, Ocho, but um, it feels like Kill Bill meets family drama meets Star Wars. That makes any sense. And if you're like, what the what the hell? You should probably go watch go watch this um thing. It seriously, I don't think there's a single one of these that is over twenty two minutes. So it's totally a watchable thing, yeah. Um, the Ninth Jedi is a twenty is I think it's the longest, and it clocks in at um, twenty two minutes. So I wasn't expecting to find to like see this and be like, whoa. But I'm glad I did watch it. I'm glad I watched it when I did because it is a genuine whoa moment. It is this. Is the application of Star Wars as a cultural product to all these little vignettes that expands the Star Wars viewing experience because you get to see more than just 
the hero's journey. You get to see, I mean, the first short is a battle between two bad guys. It's like had nothing to do with like, there's not a good guy in this, in this scenario that it's all red lightsabers. You know, they have these conversations about things that happen in, that clearly could have happened in Star Wars, like in the elder, the elder is a, is a Sith Lord who just is like, yeah, the rest of the Empire is a bunch of dumbasses. <laughs> None of that shit matters. I don't really care about hunting down and about like ending the the Jedi Order. I just kind of care about fighting strong people. I've spent too much of my life, you know, fighting against the Republic. It, it, who gives a shit? Are you strong? I will fight you. And this is so Star Wars people are gonna light up the internet and come after me, I'm sure. But this is the thing I don't like about Star Wars. Is that Star Wars up until very recently had to be very about like the Skywalker lineage, the like the like and all this stuff, and it could never just defocus on the hero's journey it was constantly following. And they're setting it up again with Ray, um, and just focus on something else. Now the um, what's that Boba Fett show? Um, the they have other stuff that's happened recently. Um, but the, the, the Mandalorian, like the Mandalorian is interesting because it focuses so much on something that's so different from the Star Wars that was out there on screen. And it focuses on, up on a bounty hunter, basically. And it, that helps to expand the world of Star Wars incredibly. It also helps to keep the um, big budget people off of the small screen, except in a couple instances, I believe, so they can keep that divide clean, which is a real thing. The real problem they actually faced with um, with. Uh, what's it called, the Marvel show they had, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, they at some point had to pay um, Samuel Jackson's asking for, like, a 15-second cameo to keep that show going. And as much as it may not feel like it, The Mandalorian is clearly designed to have that, um, to, like, bridge that divide and make it so you don't necessarily need, you know, Luke, Luke Skywalker or um, Han Solo in the Mandalorian to, like, make it a Star Wars thing. You can do that by yourself. And Star Wars Visions is a great way to do that because you have a ton, you have all these anime studios who are super willing to just, like, 
absolutely Kenji Kamiyama was like, yes, I will make a yes, I will make a OVA episode for Star Wars. Let's go. Um, and the whole thing feels so imaginative and so unrestricted by the rules of Star Wars that it it's just plain fun. And if you have the opportunity, I would definitely say go check it out. Um, if you are listening to this podcast and you're a fan of animation, I encourage you to just, just sign up for Disney+. Plus. Like, Disney Plus has, A, all of the Disney Renaissance stuff. All, mostly all of the Disney stuff. Plus things like now Star Wars Visions. I think it has um, a Avengers show that's an anime show. Um, and it's just, it's a wealth of all kinds of animation that you don't expect. But now that Star, now that Star Wars Visions is there... It's, it seems like a no-brainer to me. On that note, if you like this episode, you can um, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to me right now. Um, you can also subscribe on YouTube. You can ring the bell so you know when uh, new videos are going to go up when I eventually start uploading these again. <laughs> but um, I have been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you on Sunday.